Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. I'm Shana Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. Figuring out how long lawmakers should be allowed to stay in office has been a debate forever, it seems like, in Michigan, one we've talked about on this show several times. Michigan has had some of the most restrictive term limits in the nation. House members get three two-year terms and Senate members get two four-year terms. But then once you've exhausted both those chambers, you're out of there, which in the years following the change has led many to say that's not enough time for our government to be effective. Arguably, no chamber has suffered more than the state house, uh, considering that they are it's pretty short in terms of how long they can stay there. But now it looks like there's finally a serious attempt to change the state's term limits here to talk with us about what that's all about, what the proposal is and why maybe there's a chance it might actually work is Zach Gorchow, executive editor and publisher of Gongwer and a friend of the show. Zach, welcome back to Mishmash. Hey, great to be here, Jake and Shana. So, Zach, walk us through what this new proposal is and why might it actually be different this time? So it's a two-part proposal. I'm going to focus on the term limits piece. Uh, The idea is instead of a limit for the House and a limit for the Senate, you'd have a 12-year total limit on combined service. So that means someone could get elected to the House And instead of only being able to serve three two-year terms, they could serve six two-year terms and spend all 12 years in the House. Or they could still, say, spend eight in the House and four in the Senate or whatever combination thereof, or all 12 in the Senate. So the idea here is is multifaceted, but it's mainly to allow members of the legislature, specifically the House, really, to build some more experience Uh, you'll hear House members say often, finally, when they get to their third term, they're just starting to get good at the job um, and figure things out. Because, look, the number of state laws that are out there is voluminous. They're complex. The state budget is very complex. And uh, instead, you have, you know, you would think you'd want people chairing committees or leading the chamber with that six to eight years of experience before they do that. Right now, we have many instances where first-term members are chairing committees. Uh, We've had speakers with only two or four years of experience, and it's just created this uh, tumult, churn, uh, and and a number of problems, really, uh, since term limits uh, took effect all those years ago. So, Zach, what is the process moving forward with this uh, initiative specifically, and uh, what should people know uh, as they see they're out and about and they, they see this circulating? Well, um, once the group that's pursuing this files the petition language with the Board of State Canvassers, which is going to be a few weeks away, um, they will start collecting signatures. They need about 425,000 valid signatures from registered voters to get on the ballot and they have to get them before July or by July 11th. Uh, So it's not a lot of time. Usually you'd have six months to gather signatures, but they're only going to get four months of those because of the deadline. So I would expect this appears to be a group with the resources to pay signature gatherers. They haven't said they're going to do that yet, but I would assume they will. Um, I would expect we're going to see a lot of people out there with clipboards uh, talking about not maybe term limits, but you're going to hear them talking a lot about financial disclosure. That's the other big piece of this to require state elected officials to disclose information about their personal finances. 
Uh, Michigan is one of only uh, a couple states with no real financial disclosure requirement for its legislature or state elected officials. This would be similar to what Congress has, or it likely would be similar to what Congress has, where members have to disclose some information about their holdings, where they're getting income, if they're on any boards that pay them. We don't know anything about that with our legislature or statewide elected officials now. And that, I think, was put into this so it's not just a pure term limits reform. You're giving something out there that's a little more populist. So let's talk about what the problem is with term limits and them being as restrictive as they are. I once heard the argument that we are literally running out of qualified people and that we're going to end up getting, you know, people who are just should not be lawmakers uh, because we've run out because everybody who's qualified has run out of, of, of their has run through their term limits. I don't know that I buy that part of it, but talk us through. Or maybe there are some merits to that. So I guess talk us through, is there any merit to that? And then also, like, what are the big problems with these restrictive term limits that we have? So I would say, yes, there is some merit to that, especially on the House side, because we've now cycled through a full cleaning out of the House, like something like four or five times since term limits took effect in 1998. Let's look at this special election that just happened in the Grand Rapids area this week. A guy who has been defeated and his attempts to win the Republican nomination for a state House seat out that way three previous times uh, is, embraces all these bizarre conspiracy theories about the Ukraine uh, and the conflict there, uh, won the Republican nomination for that seat this week and will probably win the special election in May because it's a pretty solidly Republican district. You know, we don't have to guess you know, how voters would have reacted to this guy in the past. We know he was defeated multiple times. But now, you know, we've cycled through on so many occasions that somebody like this wins. And there's a few examples like that out there. Now, that being said, there's still a lot of very good qualified people in the legislature. So I don't think it's a wholesale problem, but we have seen some instances of that. I think to me, the biggest issue is what I mentioned, that forcing first or second term members to chair committees especially complex committees. Uh, a guy who was from the thumb uh, chaired the appropriation subcommittee that looks at the Medicaid and health department budget, the most complex stuff there really is in state government. And he was good at it. But he even said, this is too soon. You know, I, I've got four years on the job. I've put my all into this. This is still too complex. Like somebody with a little more experience to be in charge of this. Um, we've had a succession of speakers of the house who uh, were pretty inexperienced. And uh, there have been a few, you know, a few who have risen to the occasion and, and did a fine job, but there have been at least a couple who were overwhelmed by the position uh, or took advantage of the position. Um, I, you know, we've got the most recent speaker, Lee Chatfield. Now, would he have gotten into some of the trouble that he's gotten into if he hadn't been speaker? Quite possibly. Um, but uh, he's the he was the youngest speaker in 106 years. He had only served four years you know, 20, 30 years ago, he would not have been the speaker. He would have been biding his time. And, you know, it's really the chance for people to demonstrate over six to eight years, hey, I have the ability to lead. I've shown the ability to lead. We've had a number of speakers who've gotten to the job. They've never had to, like, champion the passage of a heavy lift on a bill. 
That's a big, that's an important thing to be able to do first to demonstrate you can do the job. And there's been a lot of them who've never done that, but because they've demonstrated they're strong in fundraising and they're personable, they, you know, and ambitious, they rise to the challenge and get that. So I don't think um, we should look at this as a panacea that it's going to cure hyperpartisanship um, or that it's going to somehow bring us back to the, the old days where uh, members would, uh, you know, build these deep relationships um, that transcended part, you know, partisanship. Uh, some of, the, you know, look at Congress. Okay, there's no term limits there. Lots of problems. Uh, you know, no one should envision this as perfect. But I think the idea people should look at is, could this make things better? And I do think there are some specific areas that I've highlighted where a little more time would make things better. One of the things that I think about sometimes when I think about this question about look at Congress, they don't have term or they don't have term limits, and and tell me if this is off base, Zach. But it, it's thinking about Congress maybe you know ten years ago, but without John McCain or without Carl Levin, you know, like a lot of these people that people wanted to keep voting for and wanted to represent them, and it was literally the experience that would have prevented them from doing that if they had term limits in Congress. Well, it's one of the things that was always kind of confounding with term limits that when it was passed by voters in 1992, it was really the first of what I think have been several successive cycles where there was a real throw the bums out attitude. There was just a lot of frustration with uh, members of Congress and members of the legislature to an extent. And at the time, we had members of the legislature who had served 20, 30, 40, even 40 plus years uh, in their position. That being said, the voters in those districts continued to elect those people. So there was really a feeling like it's not my representative or my senator who's the problem. It's the other person. It's somebody else somewhere else. Uh, it was there was a real disconnect there um, because Michigan had really had this tradition of electing people to for lengthy periods of time, whether that was Frank Kelly as attorney general, 37 years uh, John Dingell to Congress, uh, the longest serving member of Congress in history, right? <laughs> um, you know, and many others. Uh, but there was this feeling among, you know, I think it was 59% of the public that people were staying too long, even if it's not my legislator who's the problem. Um, so uh, it, it's just a, a weird wrinkle there. Um, and that's why I think this proposal doesn't look to get rid of term limits in its entirety. Um, it's just, you know a twelve-year overall limit instead of six in the House and eight in the Senate. Your piece in Gong War, which we'll link to in the on the website, is very interesting in that you make the case that the chamber that has really suffered from these restrictive term limits is the House, um, and I think that. A lot of people who think about the two different chambers, they probably have this assumption that like the Senate is the senior body, but maybe they don't exactly know why. Uh, can you and it, and it seems like term limits has exacerbated that. Can you talk to us about why it is that the House has really suffered under term limits and it hasn't affected the Senate maybe quite as much? Well, most of the members of the Senate served in the House first. It's as simple as that. Um, we've had a few more examples recently of people getting directly elected to the Senate without serving in the House first, but something like 80 to 90 percent of the 38 members of the Senate served in the House first, whether that was two, four, or six years. 
So they're coming over with some experience to start. They, they have uh, found their way. Secondly, um, because of the Senate having the four-year term, you don't really have people in leadership who are in their first term over there. So usually you see, you do have some committee chairs, but leadership tends to be everyone in their second term. So if you think about the top people over in the Senate right now, Mike Shirky uh, served, I believe, four years in the House. Now he's had, you know, and then he had four years in the Senate before he was elected Senate Majority Leader. Uh, Jim Stamas, I think six years, the appropriations chair, six years in the House, then four years in the Senate before he became chair. Uh, you know, and there's other examples like that. Jim Ananick, who uh, actually served an extra year because he was elected in a uh, special election, I believe. So right. about as as much uh, as much uh, experience as you could possibly get. So that's the that's the reason you do still have some first term members chairing committees. But again, uh, they had served in the House first and often the, you know, they are chairing the same committee that they might have chaired in the House because that's an interest for them. So they have some expertise already. So the Senate has not been hit as nearly as hard uh, as the House, whereas in the House, you know, you're drawing from, you know, you used to draw a lot from local government, you still do. But even now, like we talked about the sort of strip mining of, of available people to run, you know, when term limits first took effect in the House in 98, you had people who had been on county commissions, city councils, township boards, who've been waiting their whole careers for the chance to run for the legislature. So while they were new, these were pretty experienced people. Um, they were familiar with politics. They were familiar with government. Now you really have folks who maybe they, yeah, maybe they were on the city council, but it was done as a stepping stone. You know, they got there for a couple of years and then they're running for the legislature because they had that idea in mind. You don't have people who's not nearly as many people who spent 10, 15 years on a local board. So, Zach, before we wrap up here, I do want to ask you about your greatest hits of term limit failures <laughs> of the past 24 years, which is in this uh, blog uh, entry that you did in Gongwer uh, this week. Uh, and again, as Shana said, we will link to that on WDET.org. But tell us a little bit about give us some of the, give give us at least a couple of the highlights from that list. Well, I want to mention one that happened when I first started being a reporter at Gongor, and it was the first term that term limits had taken effect, because I think it really underscores what can happen. So there was a proposal to repeal what was then the state's main business tax at the time. And it started in the House, and the House Tax Policy Committee rushed it through very shortly after it was, after it was introduced. And then the full House, this was at a time where there were 64 freshman members of the House. That's a modern record that still hasn't been topped out of 110 members. Then the full House passed the bill the very same day. That's a big time fast track. You don't usually see that. And you certainly don't see it with such a very big, important issue. Well, turned out the way it was done was going to ignite some type of a major trade conflict with Canada. I don't remember all the particulars. Uh, but Canada was furious. They were, you know, there was going to be potential for trade retaliation. And so it took the Senate, which was still populated with its veteran members, to fix the problem. And, you know, I know the defenders of tournaments will say, well, this is why you have a bicameral system to, to deal with these things. But look, there was no excuse for what happened. I think it was 100% the product of term limits, uh, of having a committee chair who, 
you know, was not willing to take her time with the issue. Uh, and then uh, a speaker who didn't want to take time with the issue and a whole bunch of members of the house who didn't know any better. Uh, so that to me is the definition really of how term limits can lead to these kinds of breakdowns. Um, and I think the other thing I'll say is we've just had the succession of people uh, who really had no business getting elected to the legislature based on their behavior afterward, getting into trouble with the law. I mean, look, the Joel Jones situation, state representative from Wayne County, um, you know, got pulled over, was intoxicated. And look, that happens. All right. That doesn't mean you're not qualified to serve in the legislature. A lot of people have had that situation. Uh, not everybody brings a handcuff key into jail uh, to try to escape after the fact, uh, as he did. Uh, and not everybody posts uh, anti-vaccine false propaganda, uh, as he did, or tries to make excuses, as he did. He was the youngest member ever elected to the legislature, or to serve in the le- elected and to serve in the legislature. That would not have, you know, that's not the kind of situation that takes place in a pre- term limits environment, or at least in an environment where people have to, you know, you know, maybe have more time to get seasoned. So those would be two that I think kind of underscore how a little more time could go a long way. And you can read the rest of them in Zach's piece. At last, a serious attempt to change term limits on the Gong War blog. Zach, it's always amazing having you on the show. You always give us so much wonderful insight. We we always just love having you. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, that's all for Mishmash. I'm Jake Neer. And I'm Shayna Roth. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.